Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of FF7 Remake. Oh, Welcome to Frame Rate, the show where we rate frames. A very, very special episode. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Swaim, which rhymes with frame. And here's a co-host whose name rhymes with Schweppersman. My name is Abe Epperson. That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And, uh... And I just had this thought right before we started talking officially on the record. We don't really rate frames either. No. no. It just sounds nice. Because I was going to tell our guests. It's not a review like, show, yeah, you, really. You don't, yeah, I was going to tell our guests who hasn't Sometimes. been on this particular show. You don't have to feel the need to review it per se. Oh, thank nice. God. Ebert, it is not. I guess I should say that mm. it's just that if it were a review show, it's not a very good one. That's true. Because uh, we, we don't have... <laughs> You know, like any plan or structure or system. for exactly. Yeah, yeah we don't rate the things out of frames, right. strawberries uh, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Two um, thumbs up. And that voice you heard is our very, very special guest, friend of the network, friend of beans everywhere. Please introduce yourself. Me, Vanessa Gritton. Oh, hey. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's you've only done you've done Tales from the Pit and One Upsmanship. Is yeah, that right, Ness? I've done Tales from the Pit and One Upsmanship, and uh, okay, I'm actually pretty excited to <laughs> to do this one because I think I watch movies more than I do anything else, and also thank God it's not a review system because I feel like my sure. scale is like hell yeah, man, or I don't know about that one, man. <laughs> I don't know. If you like it, I'm not like mad about it. <laughs> we just, just kind of we on this program. We just like to jazz, you know. Like we just kind of run with it. Yeah, just I, like wherever it goes, it kind of goes. It's all about I the scenes you didn't watch. I think yeah. the secret sauce for small beans is we talk about whatever we want, but what we bring to the table is close reading. And close reading is not about saying whether something is good or bad. It's about being like. I saw this part and it made me think of this. <laughs> so, you know, let's unpack some shit. What do you think of that? Yeah. And the shit we're uh, unpacking this time. Uh, f- of course, special shout out to the pick, the flick picker, because we have a Patreon tier, patreon.com slash small beans called pick the flick, where you, the audience, get a chance for the right price to tell us what to watch. And so far, y'all have had very uh, excellent taste in that. I think like, Nine out of ten times we're like, yes, that's worth covering. And I think this is worth covering because we haven't yet talked about a trippy time travel hard sci-fi story. And here's one. It's called, I was going to say all you zombies, but it's called Predestination. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Charnstar. Charnstar, you're the pick the flicker. Thank you for the suggestion. And here's the episode. That's right. Surname Star, first name Charn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we like to start. By uh, asking our very special guests, in this case, Vanessa Gritton, uh, what they thought. And uh, it's really a play it how you want to kind of game. You could you could synopsize the plot or you could give uh, your like first blush impressions or what what you're going to want to talk about. However you want to play it. I think this is a really fun one to try and like <laughs> give a quick elevator pitch for what the plot is. Nice. Mm-hmm. OK, she has selected the hard mode setting. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was trying to give you an outworky where you could just go, I thought it was cool, but no. <laughs> Time trial. Now I want a detailed synopsis. Also, I had years. like the better option for how to watch this movie last night when I was tempted to watch it in VR and just go like full time travel mode. <laughs> and instead I watched this at eight in the morning when I'm not really sure I like was at peak understanding time. So Predestination is a movie 
in which everyone is everyone. Uh, <laughs> every single person that you witness on the screen is the same person. Uh, it's basically, uh, it could have very easily starred Keanu Reeves. They kept thinking that the entire time. Like, it came out in 2014 when it was, like, peak either Keanu or, like, a Tom Cruise role. But in this case, we have Ethan Hawke. Uh, and it's basically that Futurama episode where Fry is his own grandfather. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, and or the song I'm My Own Grandpa, which they use in it. By Cat Stevens. By Cat yeah. Stevens. Uh, except in this case... Uh, Everyone is everyone. It's a one-man show. I don't know if it actually well, stopped anything or if it's just an Ouroboros. Well, and lady. you like well, a, a black nurse in the nursery? That's Ethan Hawke. <laughs> Mr. Roberts, Ethan Hawke. All 12 babies, Ethan Hawke. Every child oh, she yeah. beats Ethan up in the Hawk. orphanage, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, no, but most of the people are Ethan Hawke, yes. Yeah. 80% but of this But they don't always movie. look like Ethan Hawke. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and who's the uh, Sarah Snook? I think is her? Snook. Yeah, has and she had a big career since then? Because she kills it yes. as the other main Ethan Hawke. <laughs> Uh, she kills it in this. And also I saw this movie in like 2014 for the first time. And I was like, that is a good actress. And then uh, I totally forgot about her. She is absolutely killing it on a TV show right now on HBO oh, called Succession. Succession. Yeah, she's really yeah. good at su- Succession. She plays Shiv. And uh, so if you've seen that show, that's that's who that. That's the that. role here. That's that. that. And it, this is a movie I have wanted to watch for a long time because, uh, like, I've broadcast very frequently through all on all comms channels that my that Dark City is one of my personal favorite movies, mm. and that I wish I was born in 1945 so my career could be short story sci-fi writer for magazines. Uh, and that's like where I would time travel to if I could. So yeah. people highly recommend anything that has a very solid hard sci-fi premise to me. Same. And, uh, people have been telling me to watch this for like three and a half years. So <clears> I'm <throat> glad we finally watched it. You mentioned this one's about, uh, was written by Heinlein. Uh, Who I also, all you zombies. Yeah. Uh, what else do we know about Heinlein? Yeah, let's, I'll do a little spiel about that. And Vanessa, please, uh, jump in anytime you want because Abe and I went through this before the call Um, but you haven't heard it first of all should be said Heinlein like would be a MAGA guy today unless I don't know if the another time paradox if you were born at a different time maybe his brain would have grown differently and he wouldn't but maybe he'd have experiences but like let's put it this way Heinlein wrote Starship Troopers and we've covered that and Paul Verhoeven if you listen to that episode is rolling his eyes while he adapts it. He's saying, how stupid are these ideas? Heinlein didn't intend it as satire. Heinlein is like a, would be like a a homophobic, transphobic, MAGA type guy today with like uh, explicitly racist tendencies. Oh yeah. Uh, If you, if you were the, as he was in the fifties, but he also wrote a bunch of sci-fi that's considered very seminal and important. Like you know, Stranger in a Strange Land. It's like land. it's hard. You hate saying this, but it's you got true. Your Philip K. Dick, right? And your Ray Same Bradbury's. with your whatever. Your Lovecraft is. I was going to say Lovecraft as well. Yeah, piece real mm-hmm. piece of shit. Wrote some good stories. So yeah, sci-fi's really got no, <laughs> yeah. no good. No good sci-fi. Hey, Kurt Vonnegut was an Kurt angel. Vonnegut. Yeah, but 
This uh, predestination is based on a short, very famous short story called All You Zombies, which is a line in the movie as well, by Heinlein. And then we were looking into it on Wikipedia and found out Heinlein said that All You Zombies is basically a cleaned up version of By His Bootstraps, which is a short story from 1941. Also, fun note, he wrote uh, All You Zombies in one day. Or claim to, <laughs> or or it's on Wikipedia, but um, by his bootstraps is okay. I can get us onto a track where other people will get to talk, so that's what I'm going to choose to do. Um, let's put it this way: uh, all you zombies is basically cleaned up, but by his bootstraps is like the super rough draft, and this is the reason I brought it up. Like sexist weirdly dated 40s version of this idea so by his bootstraps is about a time traveling mathematician who meets himself over and over and the twist is the same it turns out every character in the story is him but there's all this extra random bullshit about like his time traveling to fuck basically his home base or his whole goal ultimately is he finds out there's a time 30,000 years in the future where aliens came turned humans into domesticated sex slaves and then died of a plague. So he wants to go to that time and make himself king there and like fuck everyone. <laughs> so it's, it's got all this weird 40s stuff in it. Yeah. But it's like, let's build time travel yeah. to fuck with. So then like in 1959, he was like, you know what I should do? Write that story like clean and good, <laughs> like simply. Like, Robert, do you think you're going to keep in the parts where it's like the fucking, oh yeah, it needs the fucking. <laughs> yeah, so, but I bring that up because I think Abe and I also noted that like, I love this premise and I love the twist and people were right to recommend this to me because this is the exact kind of sci-fi shit that I super love. Oh, hell it yeah. It is similar to Dark City. But I would, I, this might be in the running for the worst movie we've covered on frame rate, which is going to upset some people hearing this. I hope yeah. not Charnstar, because I still think there's a tremendous amount of interesting stuff to talk about. But I would argue that the filmmakers adapting it did a really crappy, clumsy job. I think. Uh, yeah, and I want Vanessa boring. to give her yeah, impression yeah. of that. Man, it's like. <sighs> How do I get into this? Because uh, I'm pretty much on like the same trail y'all are on, where mm. it's like there are pieces that I like. I do mm. not like the sum of its parts. Because um, mm. I love that concept. I love this kind of sci-fi. Um, it's it should be so up my alley. And there are there is a really good performance here with Sarah Snook. I feel like mm. whoever is adapting it. Um, with a lot of adaptations, remakes, or anytime somebody takes source material, I feel like it's another one of those cases where they don't understand why the original works. Yeah. Can you, in just in some different form of words, what do you think works about the original? Like, how would you elucidate that? Like, all right, how am I going to elucidate this? I think the thing that works about the original, because I like, very briefly last night decided to get into all you zombies but i didn't read by the bootstraps and my mm. god i feel like that was a significantly like bonier version <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah but i liked i like the moments where it looks in terms of like uh person and personhood and like what makes you uh mm -hmm. and i didn't see it 
in the movie, I felt like it was more just, what if this was just a collection of cool things as opposed to like an actual exploration of like what makes personhood, mm-hmm. what what goes into that? What goes into mm-hmm. making a someone who, wow, whew, yeah, I've been in isolation for a while. I've been mostly talking to cats. Uh, what makes a person <laughs> who they are? Uh, and Totally. Oh, yeah. It takes... Um- the question that a lot of movies cover, what is your identity and breaks it arguably the most it could possibly be because most of those movies are like, what is my identity? If I'm not a nuclear physicist or like a good dad, it'll be a question on that scale. This is like, what if your gender is fluid? Your memories are fluid. You're not sure whether you exist or don't exist. Like how much can you not have an identity do you still have an identity is kind of the question, which is an awesome question. It's, it's a dope very question. Interesting. I actually yeah. just yeah. read a really interesting article about this a few days before uh, we even like said we were going to cover this movie. Um, mm. I'm not sure if you guys have read it, but it was about a coder named Lee Holloway who had a very specific kind of front lobe dementia that essentially like strips away personhood and causes mm. uh, intense personality changes, changes in like like what your mood and temperament is normally like right down to like what you're interested in on a fundamental level. And mm. it was breaking down, uh, is who you are, what your memories are, or is it the chain of events that lead to who you became? Or is it something that could be so easily flipped by a switch that it's a lot more fragile than we think it is. So when I saw the concept for this movie, I was like, hell yeah, I've been exploring this topic for the last few days now. And I thought it was going to get into that more as mm-hmm. opposed to just kind of like right. hey we made a crazy loop well it yeah there's of, some go ahead Abe. well there's something that you said uh vanessa that reminded me of like why i think i think you nailed it in terms of like you like all the topics that are assembled but i remember or uh recalling watching this movie i thought it was from the get-go where it was just like i got a story uh you know like john says i got a story the best story you've ever heard i was like ah it's gonna be one of these ones where we're gonna like be doing flashbacks and it's gonna be you know like uh we're not going to get what that does as a format to me uh is it displaces my attention of the present of like the urgency of moments like let's say making a decision or having to deal with the decision being made for you that you're uh, intersects and now you are going to live as a man like that is a great scene where the doctor is supposed to be there talking and it's done with this kind of just like carpet over everything just like let's just give the details of what the story is and then let the actor do her work in terms of like making that a big moment. But there's no intelligence or seems to be um, a crazy amount of thought into like, all right, now this is a film. How do we show in addition to tell, you know? Um, and I don't think that this movie does that that often. It has a lot yeah, more tell. It really just gives you the information when you need it. Like it's a puzzle or a Rubik's cube that once it's all lined up, the satisfaction is just in the colors all being on the same side. It's not about the story. It's not about the journey. It's well, it's not, not about, about the elegance of the journey. Yeah, mm-hmm. the journey. Mm-hmm. It's not about the journey. It's just going, as he says, it, this is all fine because everything you do gets you to your final destination. It's a movie that's so about the twist that it seems to broadcast 
look, we're just explaining everything you need to know so that you can understand the twist. Just wait. It's going to be great. Just wait. And uh, that's pretty boring. You have to be like, okay, I'll wait. And then the twist comes and you go, that was very good. That was a good Mm. twist. But the movie was kind of boring up to that point. And you had to tell stuff so... uh, It takes so much explaining. And a few points on that. So one is Heinlein's short story is no more elegant. So they had their work cut out for them. And they're the Spierig brothers, German directors. Their other notable film is uh, Daybreakers, which was, again, a movie that I think has a really cool twist on the vampire idea. But uh, in execution, it's like, fine, it's good. But it doesn't like stick with you. But the premise is great. You can see why it's sold. And uh, Mm. this is like that. And I think so is the original Heinlein story. So it's almost like they didn't drop the ball. Because even the Heinlein story, the Heinlein story even more so, they even fixed Mm. some things in my opinion or made them more elegant, I would say. So like in the movie, for example, the baby is left at the orphanage simply because they throw a spotlight on like, the stigma of being intersex and the difficult, like Jane slash John was unable or, you know, so the child ends up, you can't be single and have a child. And that all ties together and makes sense. You're like causally from a modern point of view, you're like, that's one loop that the time traveler didn't have to do themselves. Yeah. Like that makes sense that the baby would end up at an orphanage in the original short story. uh, They like, have to the time traveler has to do a lot more work like intentionally go to a time and kidnap the child which i know was kidnapped out of the hospital in the movie but you know what i mean it's handled differently where the time traveler uh let's call him the barkeep i would say in the short story mm-hmm. is even more laborious like he has to go and i set this up then i go 20 minutes later i move this i go 10 years in the past i set this and you're like uh to make the premise work you almost had to just recite an essay of like this is like this this is like this and (laughs) ta-da yeah yeah it's just a recipe that's all it is a laundry list i think in some ways the filmmakers made it more elegant in one very notable in two very notable ways i think they made it really inelegant so i just want to point out the differences are they added the fact that at the end of the story, he goes into the future and finds out the fizzle bomber is also him. And they added the fact that traveling through time makes you have memory loss and psychosis, which is just a ride around to make it possible that he could become the fizzle bomber and not remember his past. Uh, and then in the movie, they also added that his face is horribly burned. So he gets reconstructive surgery that just happens to make him look exactly like Ethan Hawke, a totally different person that's so different looking that they're unrecognizable. To and his vocal cords are damaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and their vocal cords are damaged to give them a completely different voice and they say my mother wouldn't even recognize me. So it's like I feel like the movie in order to expand for to fill feature length time, they had to add two more plot beats and to do that, they just did the same twist again. Like saying, doesn't it blow your mind that Jane is John is the barkeep is the baby and you're like, "Yes." And then they're like He's also the fizzle bomber. And you're like, okay, yeah. that's fine. He's also the bus driver. Okay, you're done. Like, that's it's, the twist. It's, <laughs> yeah, the, it's so much effort into the, I think I called it earlier, the fuck a Boris. Because yeah. it's like the snake that fucks itself. Uh, it's like pulling a because, rabbit out of a hat and then pulling that rabbit out again. But this time he's wearing Groucho Marx glasses. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You pull another rabbit out of that hat. Yeah, um, they. It's here's it. Here's what bothers me, and you actually you nailed it. Uh, like you're talking about in the situation where he's like, uh, "I'm a grandpa," or um, like, there's this one setup that really, really bothers me, which is that uh, she, Jane. Being Jane, falling in love with John, seeing him naked, then later when is John would look at her surgical or his surgical scars and be like, I've seen these before. Yeah. The the only man I've ever had sex with. Had them. That's true. A lot of, a lot of fudging needs to be done even more so than the short story because the short story didn't try to accomplish as many things all the short Mm. story did was someone can travel through time they had a sex change in the middle of their lives they travel in the future impregnate themselves and it's a closed loop that's the twist this adds and they are the fizzle bomber in the future and one other, they're like another person too. It like adds two more people that it's, that yeah. they are, and I think that that's and so it has to like stretch further. Well. Yeah, yeah, because like I get how you can you can watch the movie and not acknowledge that fact because it's just not brought up. There's no scenes about it. You know why would they? Uh, but it just it does bother me where because it's like okay, so I'm not gonna fault you for being like making a movie that's like a laundry list. There are like I. Look, there are diagrams online of this movie about the timeline that are and stuff trippy like that. to look at, and we'll that attach are trippy one and cool. to this on Patreon.com/smallbeans. <laughs> and I really enjoyed uh, like a movie like Primer for the same kind of <laughs> educational, like, okay, this is cool. They're doing a lot of work here. But the second that you start saying like, now you need to look important. Now it's important that the work is followed, and like if you go back and watch it, it's all airtight. And look at what that magic trick we just pulled on you. But mm. if they're making blatant errors left and right for the sake of that, that's where it falls apart. Because it's like, you just promised me that this would be like airtight. It's now not airtight. So what do you have remaining? And the short story at least based have... on is specifically famous for being one of the most airtight time travel stories, which is a hard right. thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just... I don't know. Which, that just bothers me. By the it's way, it's like there's a promise. Another one that's just as famous for the same reason. A Roswell that ends well is considered among sci-fi buffs like a remarkably airtight time travel story. Yeah, <laughs> it's very I was good. Actually, looking into this, where because time travel is both one of my like favorite subjects to uh, look at when it when it comes to like pieces of media, but also the one that I have the least understanding when it comes to it. And I was asking people that actually like know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to talk of time time travel. And they were all like, mm. Futurama gets really close. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew we'd end up talking about well, okay, so just straw poll. Vanessa, have you seen Primer and or Upstream Color? I have seen Primer. I haven't seen Upstream Color. What is Upstream what Color? What about Annihilation? I love Annihilation. Yeah, Hell so yeah. I just, I feel <laughs> like we're laying out a spectrum of, man, this is a great, thank you, Charnstar. It's a great one to talk about, even though we like shat on the execution. It's just, there's so much to discuss. Because mm-hmm. um, I knew we'd end up talking about, Upstream Color is the second movie by the Primer guy. Equally complex, just with a bigger budget, you know, mm-hmm. like if you know what primer feels like, it's like that, but different set of things, but it's equally complex, like obtuse 
story yeah. and uh and it would take a crazy diagram to understand it so i but it's a balance right because i feel like mm-hmm. even for how complicated the concept is and how much they had to explain and i'm almost on the movie itself i swear uh it is you could easily watch predestination and be smart and paying attention and not understand literally what happened it wasn't even that clear uh, and I feel like, like primer isn't clear, but when I finally sat down and cracked into it, it bore, like it was worth that study. Like the more I dug in, the more it connected like perfectly mathematically. And the more I understood hereditary was like that. Right. I didn't like it cause I didn't understand literally what happened. And I assumed it was a bunch of fudging and bullshit. Then when I realized actually everything is very well thought out and ties together, you just have to watch it again and again and again and read articles and shit. Uh, it made me super love it. And I feel the same way about primer upstream color and annihilation. Predestination, I feel like, doesn't earn it because it's unclear enough that I had to look into it to understand literally what happened. And then when I did understand it, I was like, that wasn't that hard to explain. You could have explained that more clearly than you did. Like this. At least. (laughs) Go ahead. Given us like a little bit more like character and storytelling in between that. Because. Mm-hmm. There are like Annihilation is a really good example where upon rewatching it, yes, I get more from it, but also there's like performances, character, and storytelling that still make the yes. stuff in between enjoyable because you can't really just mm-hmm. give people you you can't really just vomit out formula and information and say there is a payoff and have that be enough. It's not the same as a short story where exactly. the reader can fill in these lines and like create these characters and these personalities in their heads. And I feel like predestination didn't take a second to even really breathe in between and like weigh these consequences on these characters. Like mm-hmm. we would see it sometimes with like Sarah Snook and just she would take some extra time with a line and kind of repeat it to herself to like show what she might have been going through in that moment. But if I'm rewatching it again just to poke holes in it, I'm also not getting a ton of character in between. No, yeah. it's a dry I'd... exercise. Yeah. I'd say that the uh, if I had to watch it one more time, I probably like choose to turn it off after like the midway mark. As soon as as soon as the barkeep says, uh, "What if I put him in front of you?" Right, and then because goes on a journey yeah. to t- do time travel. Like the thing that I think that the directors uh, and the adaptation wants me to get to. Like the far the first part of the movie where she's telling the story is the most captivating part of the story. I know I, I know I talked about how it wasn't particularly well done, but the most interesting thing about the story is the main character's history. Well, personally, yeah. I'd go one sequence past that. Uh, I did think the one structural thing I liked is that's the exact midpoint, and I get why they mm-hmm. are like chirally mm-hmm. symmetrical life stories. I, that's cool. The mm-hmm. exact. So it's like half the movie is getting to know Sarah Snook. Second half of the movie is quote unquote, getting to know Ethan Hawke, but really just revealing and explaining the trick is the whole second. Everyone half. else. Yeah. Um, but I would argue that the midpoint plus one sequence, because he says, like, I think this makes a great movie in and of itself. Guy comes and says, what if I could put you in front of the person who abandoned you, ruined your life? I do want to see the payoff, which is she realizes it's herself. And because this is not in the short story, That's true. because Heinlein. So 
in the Heinlein story, because Heinlein absolutely is homophobic, transphobic, cisgender all the way. He was using intersex purely as a mathematical like, oh, an intersex person is how I'm going to pull off my twist of someone impregnating themselves. I guarantee you he doesn't empathize. I mean, I've read the story. There's nothing about he doesn't empathize with being born uh, intersex or hermaphroditic or any situation like that that's not really his interest he's just getting like his nuts and bolts put together um so i think the one thing that i really appreciated that the spirit brothers did layer in is the actual empathy of the of going through a sex change against your consent because it's a backwards time Mm -hmm. uh never having been examined before uh etc etc like they pulled out what Jane is going through in a way that is not baked into the Heinlein original. Yeah. And yet dovetails so perfectly with it was already about what is identity if you lose yourself in time. But they added like, no, no, no. But let's spend some good time meditating on that gender shit, too, because that's actually more grounded Mm -hmm. in life experiences that real humans go through is gender confusion. And I'm like, yes, that's a very good choice. And it sort of folds in with which is really trendy right now, but great. Like Invisible Man has an underlying social message uh get out sort of kicked it off or popularized it like genre fiction now has this underlying social theme and i like that i'm i feel like we're in a renaissance era of that and i think that was i wanted to give them props of for like good job focusing on jane's reality as a human character and that definitely for me became the most compelling like i think that's why we would say yeah i'd rewatch the first half because that little story of like Getting yeah. the sex change and being an orphan and shit, that was real juicy human stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish they'd spent more time and effort uh with it. And I think it's once again because they they make it like it's a story it's a game at the start. I'm telling you a story for a bottle of booze. You know, like right. that's they make it they force us to go through narration essentially which can have its in and outs in terms of like oh and this is how i was feeling at this time and we do see obviously clips of it all the throughout but it's like it has to hop from place to place to place so fast that it's just like you can't sit in the scene you kind of get whiplash i do super quickly want to shout out a sci-fi film like genre that got into also executing a social message a little bit earlier than predestination. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is a scanner darkly. Um, oh, good. Yeah. Great. Oh, movie. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, 2006 yeah, yeah, yeah. movie I that think. actually like way before a lot of other movies did actually had like genuine empathy for people dealing with the opioid epidemic. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a great example. I like sci-fi because of that. And I'm sure that that's why it works for you guys as well it's always felt like because of the very strange uh and the unknown being the the base premise of almost all those topics uh it is has these weird has strange bedfellows with uh the advances in progress you know that's why we see time and time again even shows that are not you know like asimov or you know uh, a good example is roddenberry you know like 
even though they're not necessarily progressive by any stretch of the imagination, definitely not now, you still have things like the first interracial kiss and stuff like that. Like you still have sci-fi is beloved. I think by a lot of people, because it is the first time that it says the world is strange. You're not that strange. Mm -hmm. You're just a part of this world. Well, yeah. Like, and, and that's a beautiful message. And that's, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's, I think they're doing service to that here i wish they did more it would make it better well yeah like a fun bit of history sci-fi and horror have always been like my two favorite genres for like putting someone into the empathy seat against their will uh Mm -hmm. because it kind of tells you here's a new and strange creature and then you just realize it's like someone in the world that Mm -hmm. you don't really know what their experience like is like rod serling everything he touched had I'm going to teach you what it's like to be someone else attached to it. Mm-hmm. Like right. before he even started Twilight Zone, he worked um, on a show. It was called the Great American Steel Hour, um, where basically it was like the American Steel lobbies would like pay for these sci-fi writers to write short stories. And huh. his short story, by pure coincidence, had a lot of similar uh, story points that the Emmett Till case had. Um, oh wow mm. this is an even worse time to interrupt but i'm sorry did you say great american steel hour great american steel hour gash (laughs) (laughs) please tell us about gash yo rod serling's been up in gash for decades (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) that's gonna kill me um But yeah, his story, by pure coincidence, had a lot of the similar cases as the Emmett Till story. Mm. And a lot of people were interviewing Serling and basically being like, did you do that on purpose? Did you do that on purpose? And finally, during an interview in which he was just chain smoking and annoyed, he was like, well, if the shoe fits. Um, And it was from Mm. that point that he started being seen as a controversial sci-fi writer. And he wanted to like launch into the Twilight Zone and be able to do the same thing where he got to have these short stories that can tell different stories of different walks of life in a way that wasn't quite as ham-fisted that made it easier for the viewer to think of empathy and you see that in like planet of the apes where it's yeah uh, absolutely making the oppressor feel like the oppressed and it's always been a perfect genre for this it's so bizarre because you're absolutely right. Uh, it's so bizarre that like some of my favorite sci-fi, I've, I think I've said on this program, I definitely said the mic, Speaker for the Dead is one of my favorite Oh my God, books. that's one of the best things ever. And Orson Scott so Card good. is a piece of shit too. He's the and worst! He's a, that's what I don't understand. That's what I don't understand. They're that's all what I pieces of shit, you guys. Why? Yeah. Because he... He writes one of the single most empathetic characters oh my God. of all sci-fi time. And it's about <laughs> like, the very nature of like what empathy is. Like he so fully understands empathy. He understands <laughs> it from all angles. It's not just why empathy is necessary. It's also like what is it to be a killer and to work and back what from. what is it to be the victim of killing? Like, like he sees it from dude, all sides and then you're like. You're holding the and key And then you're like so right gay now. dudes can get married, right? And he's like no, no, they'd go to 
to hell. And you're like, what? You wrote this? What the fuck? (laughs) How? How? You you literally are talking about these creatures that don't understand what death is and they like become a tree (laughs) and shit like that. And it's just like, and it's just like, oh, that's a very strange thing. We need to save them. (laughs) This is is life. This is life. We need to save them. I need to speak for them. And it's just like, nope, no wiener to wiener. Um, Yeah, and in case you're not aware, I just think it's one of the most arresting stories of the civil rights struggle. So people should know. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy lynched in the 50s, like way too recently. Um, So brutally mutilated and killed. Right, no one got in trouble. That his mother insisted on an open casket viewing and like his horribly destroyed body was is one of the many terrible american disgraces that will never be expunged for millions of years like and made a lot of people thankfully go oh my god what the fuck are we doing and was it yeah like a Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. so it's just i didn't know that story about sterling that's amazing that they're like but are you trying to like call us out are you are do you think we're racist and he's like yeah, man, I guess so. Yeah, yeah everyone's Dude. super racist. Can I go home? Do you feel attacked? <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's because you did something. Yeah, if you're yeah. this defensive about it, America. The shoe fits. Yeah. Oh, you fucking Cinderella. Uh, and uh, Abe, you mentioned Roddenberry. It should be noted. Uh, I mean, time travel paradoxes are all sown throughout, I think, for all of us, some of our favorite storytelling. Uh, There's a great Deep Mm -hmm. Space Nine trials and tribulations that is basically the predestination paradox. And there's a lot of stories. It's like it's a popular sci-fi thing to iterate on. Yeah. Yeah. Can can we talk about how a lot of people make it seem like, am I wrong about this? Because I've voiced this opinion and it usually... Either people agree with me or people just go like, mm, I don't think so. But I haven't heard anyone say why I'm wrong. Okay. And I believe that if mo- almost every single, like, Back to the Future, Terminator, you know, like you look mm, at all Terminator. these sci-fi time travel, mm. Terminator, all these time travel stories, they're all only one problem paradox right it's all the same paradox it's just whether you call it the bootstrap paradox or the grandfather paradox it's a causal time loop that's it right yeah. that's the only so in case there's only one problem in if time i may travel, I that's what i was gonna that? say is i actually pulled it up and i was like i gotta say this at some point and now seems like the right time a uh, couple things People constantly misuse the phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, because, of course, it actually, you you can't. can't. It's supposed to be, that's an impossible thing to do. It's a paradox. why we do need to help each other when we're unemployed, because no one can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. That's not possible, you idiot. So anyway, (laughs) um, and that's how Heinlein meant it. And his original story upon which this is based uh, is where we get the popularity of using the phrase by your bootstraps in modern, like, like he popularized that term with that short story, which I didn't know. That's cool. But anyway, the classic example of this loop in the easiest way to understand it, so you don't need to see any of these shows or movies to get it. An example of a causal loop paradox involving information is as follows. Suppose a time traveler copies a mathematical proof from a textbook, then travels back in time to meet the mathematician who historically first discovered the proof and simply allows the mathematician to learn the material from them having copied it. This information, then, has no origin. Like, we can't... Mm -hmm. The way we perceive time, you could not explain who actually thought of that. 
Um, and that is all these stories are just that. Then that thought experiment goes back hundreds of years, but that all these stories are just that, but like in replace information with a human identity or a piece of music. Like in the Star Trek episode, they go back and they teach Beethoven all the Beethoven music. So it's like, well then, hmm, right. then who came up with it in the first place? Right. Yeah. It's predestination yeah. is just what if you were that the piece of information is you a human, your physical DNA mm-hmm. is the thing that no one can account for where it came yeah. from. And it's all the causal loop. That's the, that's the only time that everyone goes, <laughs> yeah, this is not airtight, man. It's all that. And that doesn't bother me. It just, I don't know. People make it out to seem like it's complex. It's, I mean, there's a lot of it, but it's not that complex. I'd be so mad if me. I made me. Well, okay, I would say I, yeah. there are things that are very <laughs> I'd be disappointed. simple. Well, that's another, it glosses over like Jen watched it with me and she was like, so he's just fucking himself. And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, and she was like, it's weird how they didn't even try to explain emotionally the process of, I think most people would be taken aback at the idea of, should I impregnate myself? Like, John didn't even question it. It was like, yeah, I'm going to fuck my 17 year old self and impregnate myself. And you're like, really that you're not even going to think about it. You're just going to go for it. Yeah. That would like give me That's pause. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just kick that up a notch. I was like, she's like, take me out for a nice does meal. John not or consi- like, keep talking. Or, well, her question was like, does John not consider that incest? Like that idea grosses me out that I would do that. And I'm like, their movie's not going to cover it. John's just going to fucking go for it, man. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it's also got the, this movie has the fighter fuck principle. If you meet yourself on, through right? time, you either kill yourself. There's or only fuck two yourself. options. Yeah. <laughs> and it, that's it. That's well, it. That's the only thing stories would do. And that's, I think something Vanessa said earlier, just like really struck me of like, I think all these people writing serious dramas where they literally just tell you like green book, like, Hey, racism's bad. Being friends Uh, with other races feels good. That never convinces anyone. And yet that I am deeply convinced that storytelling is important because storytelling is how we brainwash ourselves into whatever. Like the human animal has changed over the generations. I believe that storytelling is how we, put strings of programming into our brains. It's like how you hack a human brain and change what a human can be generations from now is the mimetic stories that prevail dictate how we think things are. Uh, But all these people writing stories where they're like, I'm telling you exactly what you should do. Dude, everyone's so defensive. That never changes anyone's mind. You know what changes someone's mind? A fucking horror comedy where the whole time you're just having a good time and you love the team that brought you this joy. And then at the end you go, you know, when you think about it, that crazy monster really just represented racism. That will make you genuinely lower your defenses and think more than any straightforward drama. And I just wanted to appreciate that Vanessa reminded me of that. Genre well, fiction yeah. is the best. It's better than straight yeah. fiction, in my opinion. Transparency of story yeah. to imbue allegory and moralistic principles. Hell well, because yeah. it's like genre storytelling. Genre t- storytelling does what most people in day to day, I feel like, can't figure out when they're trying to like quote unquote educate the masses, where they're only picking like 
$6 words and having like a very elitist worldview of like, this is why you're wrong. And this is why you need to be different. And I'm going to speak to you from like a very, uh, I went to college kind of background. (laughs) Um, and Mm. it's more, I want to be right. Then I want to make your life better. And Mm. genre storytelling is, I want to entertain you first. I want to tell a story that you want to tell too, because the stories that get told forever are the ones that you want to keep telling. And nobody ever tells a story where they're like, I was scolded into submission. It was, uh, you know, I went into something with a completely different idea. I was entertained. And then I realized in the middle of it that this was like taking me on the journey with it as opposed to beating me over the head with it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always think about that because fantasy is another one, you know, that keeps coming up with the writers that create such an imaginative world. Oh, yeah. And, do you know, like, I mean, and that's been like a bastion in a lot of ways of white supremacy for so long. But like the current mm-hmm. hot shit top fantasy author, N.K. Jemison, who's a woman of color, is doing like the uh, this whole series about the Broken Earth series that is like so fucking awesome because if you've been steeped in fantasy your whole life it's always based on western european like essentially king arthur and lord of the rings yeah. with yeah. like Harsh shit and mush stuff yeah. and uh i highly recommend nk jemison with for like socially conscious high fantasy from a completely different worldview <clears throat> that has been completely underrepresented for the whole history of fantasy fiction I had no clue that was good thing. shit. I'll look yeah, that. I think her yeah. series just won like the Hugo and Nebula and swept all the awards and shit, and it's super good. Yeah, I've been hearing high recommendations because for the longest time, fantasy was like largely inaccessible to me for that reason. Because uh, mm. I liked horror because I was like, well, there's a lot of horror yeah. where it's you know there's a final girl type character that I can at least try and like find some of myself in, mm-hmm. but in fantasy pretty much across the board for as long as I've been alive it's been rare for me to look at it and be like does anyone look like me here does anyone have any like anything no, that they, I can grab onto they all look like willowy Irishmen yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that author has been recommended to me for that reason yeah I've yeah. read yeah. three of the broken earths so far and they're super good yeah um I'll look that up yeah uh did you guys notice a few things? There's a few times in Predestination mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, you're showing... I I can't stop doing it when I watch a movie and I'm like, okay, so this is your bag of tricks. When they choose to obey the bag of tricks or not, for example, there's only one way in which they keep ways of re- not revealing information early. Mm-hmm. That one methodology they use is they obscure that thing in darkness or cut around it, which is like the simplest of all the Yeah, formats. that's what I meant about the fudging. Like when you have to just have a whole yeah. scene where we conspicuously don't see one of the people's faces and then you have a scene right mm-hmm. after it where someone's face is burned and they look at someone whose face you can't see and they seem surprised. Yeah. You're like, okay like, guys, something with uh, the okay. faces, all right? You can calm Things down. Happen. Yeah. And they, uh, so that's the obvious ones. There's also smaller obvious, like, that's what makes me think they think that is a good trick because, uh, for example, they both have the same lighter. (laughs) That's something I noticed. Oh yeah. And And the resonant lines, like, uh, right. I, or like, if only I were that, like, there's many, you know what I mean? There's many lines where he goes Mm -hmm. like, I made myself who I am today. And you're like, I get it. Wink, wink. (laughs) And then they just like, in order for you not to get that information earlier, 
the first time they use the lighter, uh, the cut obscures the lighters, but it's like, but the people would see. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're not, you're not taking the identity of the person who's telling the story. You're taking your identity as a director of the story. And I think that that's a, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, obviously, but it's, you know, it, it makes me detached from your movie a bit. Yeah. Uh, and I think very notably, uh, one of my favorite, like behind the scenes, Hollywood stories is about a movie. I still love, I think I'm allowed to, I'm not saying <laughs> Kevin Spacey's great, but I still like the usual suspects very much. And, uh, um, mm-hmm. There was a at one point a shooting script for Usual Suspects where it was edited in a way that would have been very similar to Predestination as it stands because it was originally going to be uh, first, not flashbacks. It was going to be all the gangster shit happens all the way up to the midpoint and the whole second half of the movie is Verbal Kent sitting in Detective Kuyan's office telling the whole story without flashbacks, like a 25 minute scene of verbal Kent talking Mm -hmm. to Kuyan and uh, an editor famously in most people's opinion, like saved the movie essentially by going, you should intercut the two halves of the movie. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we should. Great idea. That's way better. Well, that that would have been uh, Brian Singer, yes. who's again uh, uh, also a horrible person, apparently. Yeah, uh, but that's the that's the thing that's amazing to me is that like look at what J.R.R. Tolkien did. Look at all the happiness he brought so many people. Mm. He guy's a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> fuck that guy, and not fuck even as much right. as uh, Singer. As far as Singer's like a sexual predator. Yeah, Singer, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, he's got a, yeah he's got anyway we're not yeah, yeah. Anyway. so maybe I'm not allowed to like Usual Suspects because that's a double whammy there but um, but that's what I'm but saying my point is, is that, like, it seminal was, it, works yeah. can come from anywhere of and it was interesting it to mean, see uh, this movie because I think it proves that Usual Suspects team made the right creative decision I was like this mm-hmm. is boring they were right watching this I was like they were right like this could have been intercut and it would have helped more yeah, yeah and, it- and that's Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, well, I was just going to cap it off by saying, yeah, and whether or not you supporting that work is like a personal choice. I encourage people to not support Brian Singer personally, sure. but whether or not that worked, I guess that, you know, My, it was effective. I haven't watched Usual Suspects in 10 years, but I can i think i can like it like i'm allowed to have in my brain the memory of i saw that that was a good movie that's <laughs> fine yeah you, they can't they take, can't that, take away. that away yeah. from me i guess <laughs> what were you saying Vanessa? that actually leads me to two things um one uh usual suspects is a really good example of uh like a really great twist in sci-fi where uh, it's not entirely dependent on the twist for it to be good and it's still good on rewatchability because there are so many movies Mm -hmm. where it's so built on the twist that when you watch it again, you're like, eh, I don't really need that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, I feel like Predestination is one of those where it, like, so strongly relies on we blew your mind that I can't really enjoy Mm -hmm. it again that I can with other movies that have, like, more fundamental buildup to the twist to mm-hmm. where it's still enjoyable. Um, and also in terms of like media made by monsters, uh, <laughs> my two favorite genres are sci-fi and horror. So oh, I've yeah. had to like deal with the fact that most of the people that make the things that I like are monsters. And I mm-hmm. think I've just hit this point where I'm like, man, uh, <sighs> 
Your gods are dead. Your masters are dead. Just use them as jumping off points to make better art. Yep. That's the, yeah. And if you really need somebody, there's always John Carpenter, baby. Man, (laughs) all he wants to do is chain smoke and play Destiny 2. And I love him for that. Wait, is John Carpenter up on Destiny 2? Yeah, he is. He's a gamer now, dude. He's an epic fucking gamer. I got to watch him on Twitch. John Carpenter doing Vault of Glass. Are you kidding me? He does not give a fuck. There's an interview with him where where they ask him if he's going to ever make a film or not. He's like, I don't know. You got a film I should make? Yeah. Well, that's why I like Rick like, Moranis is finally coming back. And the whole time he was gone, people were like, so you quit Hollywood, right? And he's like, I don't know. Send me a script if it's good enough. I don't I don't know. I'll do whatever I want at any time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just standards. Yeah. You know, I'm old. You know, like I'll, I'll do it maybe. I don't know. Probably well, he's not. coming back. I forget what for. But he did. Yeah. Uh, uh, Moranis uh, recently signed a movie deal. And I'm like, hell Yeah. <laughs> yeah he did didn't he yeah he did he's so he? good god I miss him I remember because uh, I cried and treasure. I tweeted about treat. it but I forget what movie it's for it might be a Honey I Shrunk oh, Matter. No, yeah because he's it's... coming back as Zelensky I remember that so it's a Honey I Shrunk the Kids new installment right know? oh yeah okay. probably okay. a Disney plus something something but I'll still watch <laughs> it for him whatever Anyway, those that speaking of hard sci-fi, honey, I blew up the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I blew up the kid. That's what I want. But I am, I'm like, as we're talking, I'm going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole of famous time paradox thought experiments now, which are awesome. I like uh, the Munchausen trilemma. I'm not going to waste their time with it, but I recommend people look it up. It's a thought experiment that proves. It uh, like explains and proves why nothing can ever be proven proven to be true. It's a very concrete explanation of why truth is always out of our reach. You don't know shit about shit, and it's physically impossible that you ever will know anything about anything. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) You know what sci-fi story I've been thinking about like a bunch these Mm. quarantine days? Uh, There will come soft rains. Oh, Bradbury, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, what's the hook of that one? I definitely read it. Which one is that? So there will come soft rains. There's also a really good Soviet cartoon uh, that animates it. But there will come soft rains is basically a Ray Bradbury piece that the whole hook of it is when mankind inevitably destroys itself, whether it be by like bomb or war or madness, when mankind eventually like self-destructs, the only things that Mm. will exist after us is uh, nature and whatever technology we left behind. And it won't give Mm. a shit. It's just going to keep going and it won't even notice that we're gone. And I've been thinking about it a bunch because I've been staring at my win- out my window at a bird scooter that's being overtaken oh. by weeds. Yeah, because that's the one. That's the one about the automatic <laughs> yeah. house, and it just makes breakfast. Yeah, and it's like this is day eight thousand and five hundred of it making breakfast, and it doesn't care. And there's no human characters in the story, right? Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. And it wakes up the family, mm-hmm. but it's just moving around a pile of ashes in the automatic. Right, home. and like the breakfast rots, and it cleans it, mm-hmm. and it makes another breakfast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like that one because yeah. it's so rare that you have a story that truly has no human character in it. Because you know what I mean? A bug that is humanized is still a human character. Like, it's a truly characterless yeah. story, right. which is hard to write. It just says... It, it just like, describes it like objects a functioning. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah one I mean, that... Uh, that that's a great meditation on the time marches on kind of. Yeah. Well, one that I love is because it also another time loop. It 
Okay, so what I'm getting into on Wikipedia is, and I realize everyone has spawned multiple cool sci-fi stories. Basically, like any physicist's actual theory that they posit about, I think this is true of theoretical time travel. Ten sci-fi authors steal Mm -hmm. it and make it a story that uses it as a hook. So like one of my favorite thought experiments for time travel is called, I just had it up, Self-fulfilling, no, the Novikov self-consistency principle, which is the theory of time travel that if time travel ever happens, we wouldn't ever know. Because if you follow me, I'm Mm. sorry, if you go back in the past, so of course, different time travel theories, some people think there's infinite timelines and some people think there's only one reality exists and it is the reality that we perceive. This one assumes that reality is reality and there's only one. If that's true, the the question, the paradox is, well, if you go back in time and change stuff, what happens? Does it functionally change the future? And the uh, answer, according to Novikov, was you would never know because if you went back in the past and changed the time, those changes would instantly apply to the whole timeline. Therefore, that always would have been true, whatever you change. So like you could never have the butterfly effect movie where Ashton Kutcher is aware of like, oh no, I changed the past and now everyone's dead. The horror. You, you're, the neurons that physically compose your brain would have evolved, would have been born of a different timeline that always knew that everyone was dead or whatever. You know what I mean? Like whatever is true always has been true because you can't remove yourself from time. So in that, mm-hmm. are based on that hook, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee did a Marvel comic short story that I always think of and love, which is just scientists just invented time travel and they're arguing about whether they can use it to even test the machine because what could the the ramifications are so could be so out of whack that they're like one guy's like we should just destroy it we never i'm sorry we stumbled upon the secret of time travel we should unlearn it and the guy's like no 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 i want to test it and he's like okay we'll just put a we'll put a glass paperweight in the time machine and we'll send it back millions and millions of years so they can't fuck anything up right And he goes, okay. And they hit the button and it cuts back in time. And you see the very first like amphibious creature crawling from, it's just like a Simpsons joke, crawling from the sea onto land and the glass ball appears intersecting with it. So it dies because, you know, they're like the matter intersects. It's like a cue. Or it's like Homer going, mustn't touch, mustn't touch. And um, anyway, but, but the twist that the Simpsons doesn't do is it cuts back to the present time and both the scientists are standing there in the, with the time machine and they're both lizard people now and one of the lizard people says to the other one, mm. see, I told you nothing would happen. And I'm like, that's a good <laughs> ending. <laughs> that is so great. Yeah, we, uh, you guys seen Time Cop? Yeah, as of Friday. We watched yeah. it for Gamefully Unemployed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just so many holes with that. There's He's got like guy who's in charge of time cops the time cop captain mm-hmm. the time captain in that movie is has one point where he's like whoa 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 what's going on why is that and why is that changed and he's like you just came back from time what do you mean why is that changed it's always been that way and like the captain of the the time force is so so woefully unprepared for the idea that like something mm-hmm. has changed 
<laughs> and just doesn't do it. The other thing is that that movie ends with if the uh, if one person touches another version of themselves, they like explode or whatever, or turn to goo. Uh, but how do you rectify that with uh, the fact that like every ten, every five years, every few years, your all of your cells have completely changed. Yeah. Wait, you know? yeah. I remember seeing I that in won- Doctor Who, too, and I'm like, there has to be enough time in between to where it's not even the same person. And where's that line? What's the difference between then and now? You know, like, is it, is it 1% changed? Is that now a different cell? Does that happen in seconds? Like, it's all bullshit. It's all just stupid bullshit, but whatever. Uh, I do like that Predestination doesn't have any of those wonky kind of, like, Time travel rules. They do well, have they have the, you can't travel more than 55 years from the date time travel was invented. And, and they have time that psychosis. the more you jump, the more crazy you get and more gaps there are in your memory. Yeah. I would argue that's kind of a lot there was of a, stupid time travel rules. There was kind there's one line that jumped out at me that uh, is Ethan Hawke when he's first, he's describing the time device. That's mm-hmm. like a violin box, essentially. He says like it's got no moving parts. Oh yeah, that was interesting. Do you remember yeah. that line? And I was like, why the fuck does that I don't matter? know. Why did we like, need to know that? Other than it, maybe it's just like a solid rock that's like, yeah, I guess if we just put it in a violin case and set the oh, time yeah, to work. I never explain yeah. what it time just, travel is. That would be funny if he's like, no moving parts. How'd you invent time travel? No moving like, parts. I'll be honest with you. We found a rock that's a time machine and we put it in this case. <laughs> we just put it in these violins. We really yeah. lucked out on uh, this one. <laughs> Because they reminded that reminded me of like a preemptive thing that they're gonna do later for like the whole like why why do Terminators have to have skin yeah thing <laughs> that Terminator does that's mm-hmm. real stupid you know like it's gotta have some skin on it baby <laughs> like but that's how time don't travel go. Works. it's whatever yeah yeah but clothes don't go okay so like cotton no cotton no cotton yes okay yes Why? leather i don't know i wanted to see schwarzenegger hang dong man have you seen him he's a beefcake dude <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> let me have this <laughs> Come on, baby. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the motivation for most things i mean let's all agree that these heinlein was thirsty as fuck <laughs> that's very clear to me after he's written what he's written i <sighs> Upon reading this last night and then this now, and I haven't actually read Stranger in a Strange Land, but now I'm just kind of like, how much of Heinlein is stopping? Stranger in a Strange Land, very much of it, actually. Stranger in a Strange Land, I read very young, and because... One of my cardinal character attributes is empathy. I just have a lot of it, and it was nurtured in my childhood. Uh, That book really appealed to me because at its core, it's him examining like hippie, the hippie movement as it was happening. So it asks Mm -hmm. questions like, why can't we all just get along? You know, if everyone just refused to fight wars, there wouldn't be horror and pain. Or you know what I mean? It's like, it asks questions like, couldn't we just all stop being dicks and everything would be great? And when you're young, these things are very, like if you are an empathetic person, feel so, so intoxicating. Like I really identified as a hippie, as a stranger in a strange land hippie, as someone who was like that. And I bring this up because I just want to warn people who might be reading that book. It also very much goes into uh, 
Heinlein projects that like in a perfect future society, basically Valentine Michael Smith, the Martian, teaches free love as well, because that was part of the hippie movement. And the society on Earth gets to a point in that book where people fuck each other in any combination on anywhere in the gender spectrum just to say hi, just because it makes each other feel good. It posits a world where jealousy doesn't exist. So like people live in big orgy clusters and they just, you know, everyone's pansexual. And as a child who believed in openness, just love always beats hate. And like the more you love, the better. That book is the reason that I thought an open poly relationship would work. And I spent, I would say I wasted a decade of my life in a nightmarish relationship where we were both trying to get an open relationship to work. And I blame that book. It like stole 10 years of my life from me. (laughs) Like my girlfriend at the time was the one who said, I think we should try an open thing. Uh, And that book is the reason I was like, well, it worked in Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah, let's try it. Ten years of horror. Ten years of jealousy and like recrimination and weird feelings. <laughs> oh, terrible, great book. <laughs> I, I've, I've been uh, Michael Swain's friend for more than yeah. that decade. And I'll say, I'll say about him. He, the man fucking loves <laughs> books. <laughs> You will not disagree with books. Cardinal truth about Michael Swain. That is true. I tend to. He has to to listen to books. I have a strong authoritarian. Like, I'm a sheep. Like, for so many years, because it was in a book, I'm like, I don't know. Robert Heinlein wrote this in a book. It got published. It must be true. I should live my life by it. Everything. (laughs) Or I just it's felt nice. like, why can't I be and, as open and loving as this fictional character who was a Martian? Right, right. right. Shouldn't this all be fine? And you're because like, because it was a book written by a racist no. misogynist in the 40s, dude. It has nothing to do with your life right. experience. <laughs> but the under uh, the underlying epistemology of that, though, is very interesting to me because it's like authoritative is an interesting word. And it, you're not alone in that respect. Stories are so desirable. They're so... They're just delicious for our brains. And so when we're on the high of that, like you will listen to things. You will see things in the way that like the design or the director or the writer is authoring things to a purpose. Yeah. You're following along with their thought process, not your own, which is part of the escapism that is books. So in terms of epistemology, like it is, of course, um, a wonderfully effective method like methodology for especially if you're reaching young but it's people also dangerous. you know i was young at the time identity still being formed like if you're just an adult who can write in a confident tone mm. i think a lot of like kids and tweens will be like i don't know this robert heinlein seems like he knows what he's talking about you know what i mean like we're all looking for a book right. that would take i truly believe that life is a bunch of random nonsense and we all would love Mm -hmm. the story of all stories that actually is true and tells us what to do so we don't have to just constantly make our best guess in a chaotic environment and that's what religion is spoiler i was gonna say (laughs) uh... (laughs) it's a highly mimetic story that people falsely think uh will explain what the twist is in my humble opinion the Mm -hmm. twist is 
this is a bunch of random shit that you will never comprehend the end. But um, yeah. but stories are cool because they fakely make it seem like there's hope of understanding one thing. But there isn't really. <laughs> no. They're liars. They're, they're big liars. I'm reading this book called The Beginning of Infinity that talks about why creativity mm-hmm. involved in humans. And this book spends an exorbitant amount of time on the nature of the oh, memes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I know. I know. But like, come on, man. Like, you're a physicist and you're just talking. You're writing about But memes. true, though, dude. Well, <laughs> like, one of my favorite sci-fi books always and forever is Snow Crash because but it's true. It taught me a truth that I can never unsee that affects everything about everything, which is that consciousness is language. We could not conceive of our own identities or be conscious without language. Our brains are meat computers and language is a fancy trick that we animals learn to do to self-program our own meat computers you language mm-hmm. and everything we do is just programming uh, the computer that is inside your skull and like like a computer and like programming you can be hacked being hacked is someone saying a sequence mm-hmm. of words that changes your mind about something you just got hacked motherfucker into changing your behavior pattern mm-hmm. and you can hack yourself proactively that's what we call therapy and self-actualization or you can drift through life being randomly hacked by shit you read or things that people feed into your ears it's awesome mm-hmm. <laughs> it's awesome and it's and unending it's that's, that's the what other memes thing. are Not- is your brain gets hacked and it yeah. self-replicates you say that string of programming to another mm-hmm. human and you spread whatever the thought is mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's good shit. And then and then fucking racists. Oh get yeah. It. Racism and, and is, they ruin racism it. as a concept is one of the most successful human memes, which is sad but true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why? Because well, our brains I organized can... by color. It's like there's yeah. no reason. I mean, there's no it's totally illogical. It's just a fucking side effect of how our brains are limited. Like I keep want to f- keep wanting to fight for humanity in this story that we're crafting here. And every single time, it's just like you got. Yeah, it's like yeah. For every one of those, you also have a Ray Bradbury. I'm like, God That's damn true. it, forgot about. But I Ray would argue Bradbury. that by the same token, humans like all of the universe and like all of nature. We're neutral at worst mm-hmm. because we're just doing what our brains tell us to do, and we didn't ask for our brains to come into existence. Just blame the universe. The universe is an entity and it's doing whatever it's going to do. You're just on like the train tracks, mm-hmm. you know? Don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Don't beat yourself up too much. Now I have a reason to go outside and shake my fist yeah, at exactly. this guy. Yeah. Well, let, okay, so we'll wrap up with, because uh, I was able to read the Munchausen trilemma in its, in its basicness here while we talk. So that is to say, I think this will put a code on everything. Think about this. Let's say you want to know anything. Or, or assert assert that anything at all is true, that you know it. Yeah. yeah. You either have to... I got it in okay, my head Okay, let's right say now. you want to prove that matter exists. The desk I'm sitting in front of, I want to prove it exists. You, It's an infinite regression okay. that can never be proven is one... Because 
I prove it exists because I touch it. Okay, now we have to investigate how touch works, neural receptors. Now we have to investigate how we know neural receptors exist. Um, okay, now my brain, because I see it. Okay, now we have to investigate how ocular cavities work. Well, why do you see it? Because of light? Now you have to explain light. In other words, every aspect of the universe can only be proven with a totality of information about every other aspect of the whole universe, which is what devs is about. Uh, <laughs> side note. And then... Yeah, is this uh, just the coastline this length is, uh, problem? I don't know. It's called, at least on Wikipedia, it's called the Munchausen trilemma. So that's the first dilemma. The okay. second part is, okay, smarty pants, what about circular logic? I can say the sky is blue because blue is the color, is the word that I randomly assign to that, the color of the sky. That proves itself. The and yeah. they say, okay, but that doesn't actually provide information because of if something's reliant on itself, it's a circle and can't expand. So you have no tool by which to actually expand yeah. your knowledge of what's what the fuck any of this is. And then the third part of the yeah. trilemma is you can stop at self-evidence or common sense, like say, look, dude, I'm just going to navigate the universe because... It appears to me that the sky is blue, and I don't care. I'm just going to accept that a priori. And they say, okay, then you've abandoned the idea that there is a verifiable truth. You are just utilitarian and saying, I'll do whatever I perceive to seem to be a good idea at the time. Are, Therefore, yeah. all approaches to life that you could conceivably take are wrong. The only thing that's true <laughs> is it is what it is, and no one knows what we mean by that. Life is nothing yeah. and unknowable. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, two and three are just behavioral. That can be excused by, and I know what they're saying there. I just don't believe, I don't think that's enough of a warrant for what they're saying. I don't think that the, that the world is undone. Un I think the first one proves that I it is. There is a determinism. Like we could never, f it's just saying that, well, whatever. You don't have to believe. Like, I think I'm comforted. By I was that. gonna say, yeah, yeah it yeah. actually that resonates with my lived experience. I think it's true that the universe is unknowable to humans. Certainly, like it's beyond our scope of understanding. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, yeah. man. Everything seems random. That to me, I'd agree with. Which is funny because predeterminism which this film is about seems to imply a lack of randomness but i would argue that from my lived experience even if it was predestined or not i'm just saying my lived experience is i never know what's going to happen next something random <laughs> yeah mm. yeah i'm probably gonna go watch the last episode of devs that's that's my predetermination right there yeah i'm probably gonna go start devs yeah devs is pretty it's cool. good I don't know why it's becoming well, a plug for yeah. devs, but it's pretty it's, cool. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, no. He I'm not... did gauge it down a couple notches for TV. Like, it's not as hard to figure out as other Alex Garland stuff, right. but it's almost as interesting. Yeah. I would say it's like a, it's like Annihilation with training wheels on, but it's still very good. I was <laughs> yeah. saying the exact same thing to someone else. That's Where he's like, look, it's TV. Uh, okay. I'll explain it really clearly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here's, all right, so TV has to do this stuff. Like, it can't ask as many well, questions. it can ask it them, but it can't answers. not answer them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I like that it's not, uh, it's not a box of question. What, the, the mystery box, the J.J. Abrams. No, it's not it's that. Definitely not that. I like how they, it's like you think in the one episode it's going to be like, oh, is this going to be like a fucking lost thing where they have three toes and they never explain it? <laughs> no, they, they, they do big things like what is devs and then they go, 
and here's your answer in episode two. And I thought <laughs> they almost too, like for my taste, who likes challenging fiction too far. Like that scene where she is like, "Devs is this." That's what devs is. You asked what devs is. It's this. Mm. And I'm like, I, you said it. We get what devs is. <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> right. Well, I that's think that's how TV works. Like, yeah. That's what yeah. you want, right? Yeah. That's what you want. Yeah. Because the, because people have not gotten it for so long. Because the average of, uh, sophistication of <laughs> humans. Yeah, it's not super high. <laughs> I think I'm going to watch it after. <sighs> I just started for the fourth or fifth rewatch but my boyfriend's first watch of neon genesis and that's going to be a fun one when he gets to the ending and i'm gonna have to figure out how the hell i'm gonna explain it i've seen it five times i have you've seen seen neon genesis i can't get over how fucking thirsty that (sighs) is all right not as not only is it really thirsty (laughs) but like as someone that has been watching it since they were like 16 several times every translation Uh every dubbing anytime i watch it with someone we get to the ending they're like oh maybe you can explain it because you've seen it so many times over and i'm like i've been trying for but a Mm -hmm. decade and a half uh it's real thirsty but 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 man, it, it is cool. It's it cool is as really hell. cool. I mean, they're not is wrong. It? It's not. They're not wrong when they're like. They're basically. You, you remember Pacific yeah. Rim? This is like what is inspired it? that. Really? That wasn't inspired by Transformers and Godzilla. No, big time Pacific Rim. I mean, I mean, big time big Neon time. Genesis. Like specifically, also, I hear both from credible nerds. Is it Evangelion or Evangelion? Um, in the actual show, like on the both e- English dubs, uh, mm-hmm. they say Evangelion, okay. um, but they usually abbreviate it for like Ava most of the time. So I think you only hear it like uh, mm-hmm. yeah. 10, 15 times throughout the show in its entirety. Um, gotcha. But like uh, the main things that inspired Pacific Rim was the idea of it being like a government entity that happened because of like this national disaster and the way uh it like transforms people lives but also the way they like sync up to the robots because it's this idea of like if it was as accurate and organic as a person is um and that directly came from neon genesis but uh Mm. it's a robot show that like both pays homage to and sometimes satirizes but in a way that takes itself um, a lot more seriously than that, the genre of itself. Yeah, because giant robots go way back. There's like that black it and white way one. That, there was like a black and white giant mech Japanese cartoon before color film even, I think, yeah. I almost describe it as like Knives Out or something that's like completely its own movie while completely paying homage to the genre that came before it. But then it also gets right. into like... What is humanity? What is human instrumentality? Who are you? Are you your actions? Uh, mm. And it gets real. Uh, <laughs> who are we? Why are we here? And do we even exist on our own? Or are we just a collection of beings as a, as humanity altogether? Yeah. The collectivism of it is, you know, kind of streamlined by the, uh, what's the name of the, like the creature they're based on or whatever the, the, the thing inside, the thing inside the, uh, Ava's that they're driving, whatever that the angels? is. The angels, yeah. Like they have, they seem to have like a group consciousness of something. Yeah, kind. where it's like, or, is everything just one group brain? Or are we all just <clears throat> collections right. of hives? Which is kind of similar to the kaiju. You <laughs> what know, is this podcast brain. becoming? Because what the fuck <laughs> you guys talking about? 
It's interesting. It's oh, interesting. We're just several yeah, steps away from predestination. You know that's all. Yeah, that's true. But you know, it's an interesting. I, oh, I yeah. like the conversation. It's fine to like it. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, we'll talk about this mm-hmm. off the off podcast pod. then. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. You should maybe check it out. I just can't get through all the scenes of little boys who are like, I'm going to see a, a girl's titties. You know, it's like, it's just. Well, it's even, I mean, I started with the FF7 remake battle victory music, which I'm like right now. And uh, titties a popping. FF7 remake reminds you how thirsty <laughs> yeah. FF7 actually it's, was. I forgot yeah, the aspect yeah. of like. Who's he gonna hook up with? Tifa or Aerith? Oh, whoever he picks, it's gonna be hot. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. In this one, it's like oh, but Jesse's oh, here Jesse now wants too. What's like, that oh, too? Oh, dude, we're gonna be cloud oh, busting up in here. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> actually, the cloud busting. Well, it's sword. just called the Buster. I'm conflating <laughs> it intentionally with the cape Buster on cloud sword, busting yeah. to make a joke about cloud strife semen <laughs> coming out. That's how that all yes, looped together. Yes. <laughs> Hell yeah, dog. I'm cloud and I'm <laughs> busting. Where's that gash? <laughs> Where's the Great it's American gash. Steel Hour when you need it? Uh, so sci fi is made by thirsty monsters. And uh, sci fi is thirsty. We eat yeah, that and shit I up. Oh, and as ever, uh, repressed transphobic assholes mm-hmm. are also secretly super thirsty. Like, all these old sci-fi authors who are like, I just believe that a man and a woman is what God, blah, blah, blah. They're always writing stories where they're like, then his fourth dick grew and he fucked his own vagina. Mm-hmm. Like, they're always... It's because writers, man. Writers are horny as hell. No, it's because repression. Just don't repress. Yeah. Do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, Do thank- whatever you want. <laughs> Tell him Mike sent you. Thank you, Charn Star, for this conversation. Thanks, yeah. Star. And thank you even more, Vanessa. Yeah. Do you want to um, plug your pluggables or anything like that? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I oh, know yeah, Night Church is still going, right? Yeah. Or Night Church are you is... guys... Okay, good. They're you guys quarantined? still going to meet, like, all of us are quarantined individually, but we're basically just, like, mm. working on individual projects and uploading it together. Um, in terms of like stuff I've been working Mm. on that you can check out now. Um, I have a new article up on Fangoria, uh, on the life of Alexander McQueen. Uh, and I have, uh, some other articles coming out too that I'm pretty excited about. And, uh, if you have a cable package that includes El Rey Network, uh, I host a show called El Rey Nation where we talk about pop culture. Um, it's on every Wednesday, but you can also download episodes on Amazon and iTunes and please do. I'd love another season cause they do things like let me talk about Kaiju for an entire episode <laughs> and networks like that's cool. So would love to be given money to just talk about giant robots for an hour. hour. Yeah. <laughs> what a great right. gig. For King. Right. You're the queen of Kings. Hell yeah. yeah. Give me a sitcom, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Ooh, Queen of Kings? Right. Yeah. yeah. You and Jerry Stiller? Oh, man. Where he's just my husband and he yells at me? I guess they were in Queens. I don't know why. I... All right. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Yeah. Isn't, aren't you thinking Kevin? But wasn't Jerry his Stiller his dad in that? I don't know. In King of Queens? I think it was, was Jerry it? Stiller. Maybe. Yeah, because no, no, no. The only other. Cause, uh, Serenity now. <laughs> fucking uh, Everybody Loves Raymond was Young Frankenstein, not. 
Jerry Stiller's right, definitely right, right, King right, right, of Queens. Right, right. Was dad yeah. on King of Queens. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You want I, some of this? You got it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Freeze frame. End of frame rate. We're out. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!